Hey, Nora. Hey, Sandy. Oh, man. So um, the world looks a little different today, at least south of the border. And I suppose that'll have reverberations everywhere. Well, I mean, (laughs) it'll have reverberations on us, considering how integrated we are with the U.S. But you know what? Before we get too depressed, before we start this episode, did you know that this is our 200th episode? No, I don't count things. What? That's amazing. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yes. Happy to We said the last time that we wouldn't we wouldn't like be caught unawares and that we would celebrate the next time we hit a milestone. And what you're telling me is that um we failed in that. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Great. I'm saying that, yeah. That seems <laughs> like us. Well, I think we should celebrate somehow. Oh. How should we celebrate? Oh my god, I have no idea. <laughs> we should like plan a live show somewhere. Oh my god. Okay, yes, yes, yes. It'll happen. Absolutely. Yes. Okay, great. So where, when, we'll figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> we'll figure that out. But I think uh 200 episodes means live episode somewhere in Canada, somewhere in this country. We shall do that. Thanks for listening everybody. Thanks for yeah. getting us to 200. Yeah, it's amazing. That's a lot of episodes. That's a lot of us talking. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad people enjoy it. Um, Well, and while we're on like a good, good news tip, why don't we thank some folks? Ooh, that's a good idea. Any longer, it'd be probably a bit depressing. Okay. So this week, thank you so, so much to everybody that has changed their donation or pledged to the show for the first time. And of course, as always, thank you so much to everybody that continues to sustain our work. We really appreciate it. We need it. And, um... And it's great. So thank you. And then, of course, for everybody that's just been recommending the show to their friends, keep doing that. We really need that as well. And specifically this week, we want to thank Jennifer and Cody for their support. Thank you so much. Uh, Amazing. Okay. So like I said, Nora, (laughs) things are bad. And I do think it's going to have reverberations around the world because I do think that a lot of places take – take a little bit of direction from the U.S., but I also think that it'll cause the movement of people and whatever, but blah, blah. Before I get too into that, what I'm referring to, obviously, is the Supreme Court decision um, that effectively ends Roe v. Wade and ends Casey v. Planned Parenthood and ends the constitutional protection for the right to um, privacy and medical care, including um, getting an abortion uh, for people in the United States, which means that because it's not constitutionally protected, states get to make the decision about what happens with respect to abortion care. And many states, um, as we all know, do not want uh, people to have control over their bodies in such a way, and have immediately outlawed abortion across the United States. There are also some other really awful decisions that were made um, that were kind of drowned out because of Roe v. Wade. Um, Did you hear about some of them, Nora? I think I heard about the gun control one, but probably I have not heard about what you're about to talk about. Well, the gun control one is one of them. So basically, New York had a... Um, a law that they passed that said that you couldn't, you can't, uh, you know, 
carry a weapon concealed um, without having a good reason for it and passing some sort of um, test of good moral character. And a whole bunch of states have these sorts of laws. Someone sued the state of New York about that, and it went up to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court said it is a violation of the right to uh, bear arms of the Second Amendment to put these sort of rules on concealed carry. So that's bad. Mm -hmm. And then the other one that is quite bad is uh, a police state one. Did you hear about this? No. So you know what Mirandizing someone is. It's like you have the right to remain silent, like that thing that we've all heard a thousand times on television shows and TV movies of what happens when the police in America arrest someone. Yes. So it's called Mirandized because it's 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 a it's a case that was like Miranda v something, um, and it's like the text of of what the cops are supposed to tell you is basically like in in the decision of Miranda. That's why it's called Mirandized. And there was the case uh, of someone who was essentially tortured, like held for hours and hours and hours um, and, you know, extracted. I I can't remember the, the full details, but the police extracted all sorts of information from this person. And... Uh, you know, over the course of essentially being tortured. Because if you are, you know, if you're detained like that and, you know, they refuse to give you the things that you're supposed to have and read you your rights, like, I I think that that's a form of torture. And uh, that person sued the police um, to say, (laughs) you know, fuck you. You, uh, You have violated my constitutional rights to due process. And... Uh, the cops said, no, fuck you. You can't sue us for this. And that went up to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court decided that, yes, citizens cannot sue the police for violating their rights and refusing to Mirandize them. Oh, okay. Wow, that seems, like, super bad. Yeah, it's like police state shit. Um, So there we are. Uh, I think that this all smells like something's going down in the United States. I just, um, I mean, something's always going down in the United States, but it it feels like we're at a period of time where the the shit's all aligning in such a way that I think this is going to get just worse and worse and more and more violent. Mm-hmm. That's quite the pivot to the topic of today's episode, which um, cannot be spoken about without going through these court's decisions, first of all. We are going to explore today, just because Canada Day is right around the corner, what happens as the United States continues to take a shit? What happens to Canada? What happens to us? <laughs> and not to say that anyone should care about us, because what's going to happen in the United States is going to be probably worse, uh, at least more harsh and more swift. But it is a question that eludes public policy discussions in Canada. No serious politician is standing up going, we need a plan for when the United States takes a giant shit. And that seems really fucking weird that no one's saying that because, um, I mean, I don't want to get all biblical in an episode like this, but like the writing is on the wall. (laughs) Like, that's the direction that it's going. So, um, yes, let's talk about that. But I want to first respond to these um, to these decisions because 
I it's so it's so weird because as like a Canadian, our Supreme Court is obviously not that political, not as political as the United States Supreme Court. That I think is a very clear thing that we can say. You know, the the one of the most recent Supreme Court decisions that happened in Canada that I was watching very closely actually declared multiple uh, uh, 25 year periods uh, of, of, uh, of imprisonment before you're eligible for parole as being unconstitutional because it as being unconstitutional as it constitutes cruel and unusual punishment. And that was a decision that was uh, related to the killer in Quebec City who received a 60 year period of prison time without eligibility for parole. And, uh, you know, up until Harper's, Stephen Harper's tough on crime reforms, that maximum was only 25 years. I, only. I mean, 25 years is a lot of fucking time. So it's so bizarre to see what's happening in the United States and to see what our own Supreme Court is doing and just how diametrically different they are. And I don't know, like, Sandy, maybe you've got some insight considering, um, you know, the last three years you've been doing nothing but looking at the law in the United States. But it seems like the Supreme Court in the U.S. is, like, coming up with decisions just, like, what to say whatever the fuck they want. <laughs> like, because you can make the law do whatever you want if you cite the right case law. And, like, is that what's happening here, that we really are seeing, like, this hyper-partisan Supreme Court that can that can do whatever the fuck it wants because that's the role of the Supreme Court and can make whatever decisions it wants just by picking whatever case law they want to pick and that they're beholden more to a political ideology than to what the law actually says? Or is that just me being a bit liberal about how the law is supposed to work? Well, no, they're like, I mean, yes, the Supreme Court is um, highly politicized, clearly. Like, it's the great lie of, of like, law school <laughs> that, you know, the Supreme Court is, you know, beyond politics. It's, like, literally just looking at precedent and making decisions. But there are outlier cases where it's very clear that that's not what's happening and that it's been happening more and more in the last couple of decades. Like, that is, you know, it's, it's becoming more and more political, more and more polarized. But it's not like this is so strange because it's not like they chose specific case law uh, with, um, you know, uh, the Dobbs decision, which is the decision that overrules Roe v. Wade. They just said instead of looking at all of the years of case law that makes it impossible for them to do what they did, they were like, we're just going to take a look at the Constitution. And, oh, it doesn't mention abortion. No. And we can't really read the right to privacy into um, uh, the right to life, liberty and due process under the law. I mean, you literally can. They've done it so many times. But that's that's what the argument is. It's like we can't read the right to privacy or the right to abortion into, you know, the right to life, liberty and due process. And so they're instead going to say that it is not part of like the tradition and history of this nation, which is false. We talked about that the last time we talked about this issue on this podcast. And so mm -hmm. they, you know, they're just making up history, I guess, and citing instead of case law, like they're supposed to the constitution. And of course, I mean, they're supposed to um, use the Constitution as like the source for whether something's constitutional or not. But what the meaning, like the Constitution of the United States, if you people haven't read it, you totally should. It takes like less than five minutes. It's short. Okay. It's extremely <laughs> short. And so like all the case law is supposed to tell you what the Constitution really means. And so to throw out 
all of the case law around this is like it's going to cause all sorts of problems with other other cases and that and again is really political because you know there's one opinion that which is Alito's opinion which uh, is the opinion that rules the day but other justices wrote opinions that said things like oh because other cases were decided on the same um reasoning as Roe v. Wade, like a Obergefell, um, and uh, the case that uh, makes it uh, so that uh, people have access to contraceptives, the case that makes it, uh, you know, that says that the sodomy laws that used to exist were unconstitutional. Those cases, says Justice Thomas, are now up for debate. And so, you know, that's a political, like, that's fucking political. It's not just like, I'm just looking at the case law here and uh looks like, no, it's a, these are political decisions. So, I mean, what the big problem there, I think, is that it means that, uh, you know, more and more people are seeing that it's political and refusing to believe that the law has any sort of objectivity, which I think is going to be... Uh, a problem for, you know, the stability of the United States is, or any country really, is in part related to how the people um, Mm -hmm. put faith into its institutions. And I think it's really obvious uh, that in the United States, the people are losing faith in the institutions. And then you wonder if the Democrats respond by expanding the court do we think that nobody's like the people on the right are not going to respond to that? Like, I think that people on the right will respond to that. And I think some of them would respond violently if, if they, you know, um, try to codify into law in Congress, the right, they won't win because they don't have both chambers. (laughs) Like, and if Trump doesn't win the next election, or the Republicans don't win the next election. I think there will be, um, you know, there's already people who don't believe that he didn't lose the last one. Like, it, it just feels like we're careening towards a situation um, that is going to be really bad. Yes, it certainly feels like that. And I, I certainly felt that, I would say, deep within my bones when I watched the Democratic House caucus singing God Bless America in response to, <laughs> to this decision. Oh, my God. I mean, it's like they're fully unprepared. They yeah, have no idea. Yeah. Well, and a, a friend of mine um, who's American was making the point on Facebook that, like, the leak was the, the, there was the leak was done on purpose. The leak was done to give the Democrats some time to fucking strategize and actually do something. Yes. Yes. What was interesting was ha- seeing how many American pundits were like, "Well, maybe the leak is to like get us prepared for something that was really bad, and then it wasn't going to be that bad." Right. Like that was the weird kind of twisted logic rather than, oh, no, no, the, the, this, the fire alarm is going off. Are you going to go fight the fire or are you going to like just fucking go down in the fire like the Titanic string quartets? You know, like it's it, it, it's unbelievable to see such fiddling while while uh, Rome uh, burns. And so, yeah, I've been fascinated. I mean, you can't be a political watcher, not be fascinated by the forces in the United States and how they have such deep impacts on Canada. Um, but I've been very fascinated for this for, for a long time, um, ever since uh, I had a professor who 
covered, I mean, was a was an international uh, news correspondent for various Canadian publications for, for, for years. And, and he was talking to me about like the, the decline of the American empire versus the decline of the American nation will look very different in, in his estimation. And, and he was saying that the empire is fed by the nation. And so th- like if if the nation stops being able to feed the empire, that's how we're going to see it collapse. And, you know, I think <laughs> like uh, some of the highest deaths from from COVID, um, you know, all of a sudden uh, a, a stop to foreign um, military interventions. Uh, you know, it's pretty clear. I mean, to some extent, like news has also just come out that, oh, surprise, there might be American special forces in Ukraine, which, I mean, is not a surprise. It shouldn't surprise anybody. But Oh, I haven't seen that news. Yes, the New York Times just oh. did. And also... Not just good, American, good. yeah, not just American soldiers, but also Canadian ones as well. Um, it sounds like maybe the folks who are fighting in Latvia are actually only quote unquote fighting in Latvia and are perhaps actually in Ukraine. But you know, there's been no parliamentary debate on that, so we don't actually know. But this 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 decline of like the empire, I think, is something that you know so many anti-imperialists are, are wanting to see, right? Like, f- fuck fuck American hegemony, fuck all the meddling, fuck all the murders and the bombings and the disgusting uh, atrocities that have happened uh, in the name of American justice and liberty. But it's the decline of the American nation that is going to be so painful to watch because, I mean, not that watching Afghanistan now that the United States is gone has been not painful, but these decisions, the, the self-immolation that is going to continue to happen, whether it's from the levels of the Supreme Court or state legislatures or whatever, God, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be bad. It's going to be really fucking bad. It is bad. And we know what the path is for a lot of these policies. And it's just going to get worse. Yeah. And I think, I mean, if history tells us anything, something that we might be able to expect is, um, you know, Biden doesn't have a lot of options. <laughs> the people who are in power and the little power that they have, they don't have a lot of options. I think, you know, you saying that there are special forces in Ukraine going to war, like, is one of their options to try to shore up support in America. Um, And I would not be surprised if that's what happens. And as you say, you know, this question of, like, what does Canada do as the U.S. declines? I mean, I know we all look at maps in this, like, east to west way, but if you turn it around, Canada is in between Russia and the United States. (laughs) I mean... (laughs) That's an issue. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's one of the things that uh, we should maybe be concerned about. In addition to the fact that if the people in the United States are, you know, um, have less and less rights or have less and less protections, um, you know, we might, you fuck whatever safe third country rules there are, there might be people who are trying to escape um, and trying to come to Canada. And then on top of all of that, uh, you know, thinking about uh, the climate crisis and the fact that Canada is likely going to be a place that needs to prepare for accepting climate refugees, I just feel like Canada is hurtling towards a political situation that it has not talked about (laughs) and it has not Mm -hmm. prepared for. And uh, like geopolitically, we're about to be extremely important. I mean, we are extremely important, but no one believes it around the world. You know what I mean? Um, but in a way that everyone can see, we're about to be really important. And I just kind of feel like someone 
<laughs> anyone <laughs> should be preparing for that. And we certainly should be having uh, national conversations about it so that people can be engaged in it. Well, and Canada has been preparing uh, in some ways. And so, I mean, first of all, like our interaction with, with China has not been great. Um, there doesn't seem to be any kind of I don't know, awareness that China is likely going to be the next global superpower and instead Canada's acting as if we've got like some sort of fucking weight on the international scene. Um, that, that, that that kind of has, has chilled out a little bit uh, in the last you know couple of months or year, I guess, since the Michaels were released. But it was very interesting to see like it, Canada basically, you know, playing lapdog to the United States. Like why, why, why would we be doing that um, as the United States is continuously like proving itself to not be as effective as the global police officer any any longer? Then you've got like recent announcements for Canada to throw money towards NORAD to, I don't know, shore up North American defense. Um, again, no de debate at all, no public policy discussions, no debate in parliament. Not that that would even make any fucking difference because the NDP's already said that they're good to just go with what other fuck the liberals are are doing when it comes to spending bills. Um, and so, like, we are very clearly still, still, still connected to the United States. But, like, how far does that go? Like, not only strategically, in, in terms of our, of our location, are we important? We're important for having 20% of the world's fresh water. Um, all of the refugees coming across the border. So all of the refugees that have come to Canada in the last uh, couple of years that have, have crossed through physical border crossings, they're all leaving the United States. <laughs> like that right there, anybody who were trying to say, you can't come here because you came from a safe third country, they are all literally coming from the United States. Those kinds of migration patterns are only going to increase. And it's it's interesting because I, I, I've seen a lot of people say, oh, well, after Trump got elected, we, we predicted this mass exodus in the United States to come to Canada. Why would it happen? Why would it be now if it didn't happen then? And it's like, it's very different to have um, like a federal leader who's terrible, who you hate, who's a despot, who's probably a fascist, um, but you're not sure what that's going to do versus like these laws, even if you're in a state where these rights are protected, I mean, that that is a fucking clear indication. And anyone I think that has a connection to another country is seriously considering those connections. And I'm saying this knowing, I mean, my, the world that I have, the, the look that I have into the United States is not just friends who are American, um, but also in the scientific world. I know that there's a lot of scientists who are American, like born and bred Americans, or they're from another country, but they've been scientists in the United States looking very fucking seriously to get the hell out wherever they can go. Canada's on that list. Canada's not necessarily at the top of the list, but people are going to try and leave the, the, the states. And so, no plan on resettlement, no plan on what happens if if people are coming to Canada um, looking to flood certain areas of the job market. Maybe it's highly skilled, maybe it's no skills, uh, but there's no discussion at fucking all. And then no discussion about what happens to our economy and to trade as this as the United States continues to fold in on itself and continues to be more and more focused internally, because that's where we're headed in the United States. I mean, the country is not going to necessarily be able to survive as these cleavages between, uh, I mean, you can say red states or blue states or or whatever. I mean, the, the abortion issue is a good one because you can see very clear differences from state to state. 
this country is not going to hold itself together as these things become more and more pronounced as gun control, as rights of the person, as things like um, civil rights become more and more undone in some parts of the country. And then as a result, become more and more probably protected in other parts of the country. And then the question, of course, is what is there to be done? I think that, you know, as Nora and I have talked about several times as we talk about you know, foreign relations, the number one thing is to focus on the people and to make sure that people uh, everywhere um, are safe and can be supported and can be held. And so everything that we know about strong, tight borders that refuse to uh, accept people, um, that refuse to accept like uh, some sort of permeation beyond like corporate permeations, those things, I mean, we're going to have to take a serious look at those things. We're going to have to take a serious look at the way that we do um, uh, asylum processing. Uh, I mean, that to me seems like a no-brainer. When it comes to how the country looks after the fall, um, you know, we're going to have to make sure that the, that, you know, the Canada... (laughs) doesn't just think of itself as like, you know, we're attaching ourselves to the US and going down with the ship. <laughs> you know, like that seems like a bad thing for a lot of people um in in, you know, geolocated above uh the forty ninth parallel. Uh I don't know. So what does this mean, I guess, for politicians and what does this mean for public policy discussions? Um, First of all, I want us to look internationally. It is like there's no better example of how Canada is firmly chosen its side that it's on than in how things are being discussed around the war in Ukraine. Uh, I think, you know, if you ask any average Canadian about Russia and how bad Russia is and how evil Putin is and how they have no international influence or whatever, I think average Canadians would be very surprised to find out that um, that this war has not exactly damaged Russia, that the sanctions have actually probably helped Russia, that, you know, their entire vaccine approach was to vaccinate their global allies before actually vaccinating Russians. And that was done to shore up support. I mean, there's no better way to get a country to, you know, be an ally than to just flood that country with free vaccines when you have when you have, you know, WHO controlling patents and, and countries like Canada, United States, as some Western European countries refusing to allow for patents to be open so that countries like South Africa and India who are demanding be able to make their own MNRA vaccines to, to be able to do it. I mean, we've, we have very clearly chosen our side. And it's like, where is the debate in that where is the discussion about countries that are not the UK, that are not Australia, that are not France? Where is like where do where does South Africa figure in? Where does Pakistan figure into Canada, Chile, fucking any number of any other countries, Japan? Where do these countries figure in into the work that we're that, that the Canadian government is doing that what they find allied to or what projects they are paying for or supporting? No, instead, it's like we fund uh, or we're sending weapons to Saudi Arabia and uh, the old allies of the great wars rise again against the you know traditional foes. In this case, it's Russia. Like, 
that is such backwards, old school thinking that, you know, there's just no creativity in foreign affairs. There's barely any discussion about foreign affairs. Canada has not figured out what its place in the world is going to be other than this vassal state for the United States. And as the United States continues to crumble, like we are we are going to be fucked. We are going to be absolutely fucked if we continue to just see this world in through the eyes of like Western hegemony. Western hegemony is going like all all global orders have a fucking shelf life and Western hegemony has a shelf life. So, okay, so foreign affairs, that's one thing we've talked about immigration and refugee status. That's a whole other thing. But what about the economy? Like Canada, like how many fucking times does a car pass over the border to be built? Like 20 or something, right? Like, you know, the raw materials goes to the States. This gets built, comes back to Canada. This gets built, blah, blah, blah. All of our relationship is economic. And so we have so much of like our tax base of how we like take care of Canadians is assumed to be operationalized through these trade agreements through NAFTA. Or whatever the fuck it's called now, scumsa or scamsa or umska or whatever the fuck, cumsa. I think Ew. is probably the last thing that they called it. I know. Um, and it's like these these trade agreements they don't help workers on either side of the border. Like they they seek for the like the jurisdictions with the lowest fucking salaries and the worst worker conditions and we've enthusiastically signed on to them what would transforming our economy look like to bring back good jobs to canada that would encourage good jobs in the united states and in mexico and that wasn't always chasing the lowest dollar i mean no discussion no discussion about our manufacturing capacity at the fuck all all we can do is export our raw fucking our, our raw our raw goods that's all we can do as a country that's all we've ever been able to do as a country and it's like Sorry, like this stuff is not that complicated. Like, where's the discussion? Where is the conversation? Or is it just like, oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck. That's going to be bad. Huh? Oh, well. But don't worry, because General Motors is going to fucking pay for people to have abortions. <laughs> like, as if. Yeah. I mean, I think that we're like addicted to like the most superficial news story about a situation that could come out. <laughs> the The amount of... Uh, of like free press or I guess uh, promotion PR that all of those companies that are, you know, paying for people to uh, travel so that they can get uh, abortion care is like, okay, man, like, <laughs> can we deepen this conversation a little bit? Can we have, yeah. um, you know, uh, conversations that are just more than uh, this deeper surface level stuff that is so easy uh, for uh, corporations to manipulate, like, um, sure, certain companies are, you know, uh, paying for this travel. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm saying that we should, instead of being like, here's a, this brilliant list of companies, yay. Like, what are people going to do with that? Like, try to get a job at those companies? Like, we all know that the job market isn't just pick and choose. It's not how it works. But it would be way more... I would appreciate far more having the conversation that Nora and I are having right now, um, seeing that on the evening news, seeing that whatever news sources that we're getting, like seeing a discussion about that. Because, like, I mean, it's like obvious that that's where we are, but I don't know. Like, it just seems like, um, you know, our news media is really comfortable with assuming that, um, you know, the 
the box is turned the right way up and it will never be kicked over by all of the forces that are kicking over the box. (laughs) (laughs) It's like everyone's fucking with the box, you know, like nothing is right side up. And uh, I don't know why we're pretending that it is. And it's just going to be that way forever. Well, yeah. Like, I mean, how many fucking people still think that California is going to supply all of our fruits and vegetables? (laughs) Like... It's amazing to me how it's exactly that, how there's just no room to have any kind of serious conversation. And I think average people feel like something's up. I think average people very much feel like, you know, heightened awareness around school shootings, heightened awareness around the incredible contradictions and hypocrisy of um, of Republicans and how they talk. You know, Canadians look back and, and they and they think, thank God I'm in Canada. And, I, and, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, why are you so smug? It's like, let's like also take a moment to say like, of course, people are going to say, thank God we're in Canada. Like, I don't send my kids to school and get worried they're going to get shot. Like, I literally do not. <laughs> like, that's not... That's not, I'm worried they might get hit by a car, but I mean, they have that too in the United States. So like fair enough, there's some things that we should be very pleased that we've done all right with in this country, but all of our eggs are in their basket. All of our eggs are in their basket. We have not done anything to try and come up with some sort of economic and, and political relationship with other countries in this world um, then the United States. And it's like, they're the easiest, they're the closest, they're the most historical, they look the most like us. I mean, in some ways, um, certainly we have very similar histories. And like, as if Trump wasn't the big red flag to be like, ooh, 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 we gotta, we gotta maybe not, we gotta maybe not be so close to these people. Um, and then as you say, like, and find ways to build solidarity across this border that, um, I'm not sure that can help. Like, I think I, there's that's for maybe other conversation, like all the things that Canadians actually do have to offer to help and help debate and, and, and elaborate kind of different possibilities in a settler state like what we have. Of course, there's a ton for us to learn as well from American activists who are doing really great work, especially those activists who are fighting for reproductive justice and who've known for years that this was coming. Right. But yeah, like that, that media constriction in what is allowed to be spoken about in this country. I mean, that, I think, is is such a, you know, it's one thing for politicians to want to save their own asses, save the economy, save everything by ignoring these forces because it's just like, let's just go as long as we can. But journalists have literally no excuse. And when you look at the the, the way that abortion has been discussed, I mean, Sandy, have you seen how many fucking right to life fascist piece of shit like media has had on in this country in the last couple of days? Oh, my God. I mean, listen, I haven't actually been, um, you know, watching it all because I feel like I got such a heavy dose of it uh, in school this year. Like, I I, I haven't. But I did see um, that, uh, you know, that thing that went viral on Twitter of Jennifer Gunter being asked to be on The National to discuss uh, Roe, v- uh, Roe and abortion. Did you see this? Yes, I did. Yeah, and finding out that she would be on a panel um, that would include an anti-choice uh, voice, and uh, th- and then she refused to go on, um, giving uh, quite a bit of feedback uh, to CBC as to what she thought about that. That like they would they would you know actively seek out um, this you know sort of really violent. Um, this sort of really violent opinion and like making sure that, um, what is, um, 
you know, like an opinion that doesn't deserve elevation, like that would result in the deaths of um, of uh, countless uh, people who would need this sort of care uh, should their opinion become uh, the law of the land, like seeking out and trying to 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 make sure that there is that voice as though there, that that presents some form of balance. It's like, come on. Come on. So I saw that. I, I don't know how prevalent it was, but I assume that it was because it's like the most, um, you know, banal sort of knee jerk way that um, our media responds to everything. It's like, okay, let's get two sides. Let's get them together. Let's have a little tiny little conversation about this and, and then be done with it. Yeah, well, this morning on The Current, I mean, they started the whole segment with some fucking piece of shit from Michigan who was talking about how this is a, a, a great day for human rights. And it's like, wow. Okay, so that that's what's going to happen as as the United States collapses on itself. Journalists in this country are going to paint what's happening as if it's just like a debate. There's just two sides to this debate. We're going to hear this one side and hear the other side. I mean, it happened at least on two other shows as well. And, and you know, again, like the abortion issue is a really good one to look at because it touches on so many different aspects. And, you know, as Canadians uh, who do have access to abortion in a way that the United States does not have, and in, in, in the way that actually most people in the world don't have, because we have such uh, great legal um, protections in some way, uh, like there's just no actual thinking a little bit further down, like, okay, well, like, how many how many people have to suffer through a miscarriage in the emergency room while they're waiting for their turn to see the doctor? I know many people have gone through that. Like, what what's it like to to, to have to do that on your own? What's it like to be on the floor of a fucking emergency room bleeding and you and you're worried they're going to bleed to death? Like th- those kinds of stories that people know. I mean, we, we fuck. We can talk about sterilization as well, sterilization of indigenous people, and 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 how that continues to happen and what that looks like when it happens. I have a friend that it happened to, and I know in in their situation it was just like like coercion under the worst circumstances, um, having just given birth. And uh, like, this is not what we're going to, first of all, when we talk about like the threats to abortion, as we are seeing in the United States, instead we go first, first, the current Nala Ayed of all fucking people who I have tons of respect for. It's like, what are you doing interviewing a fucking right to life piece of shit from Michigan? Of all? Who the, what the fuck is Michigan? Like, I, <laughs> what the fuck is this? So, of course, when we start to talk about bigger issues like the actual collapse of the American empire, we're not going to get anything deeper than nothing. We're not even going to have that conversation. It's just not even possible. And it will fuck us. It will bite us in the fucking ass in a major fucking way when, oh, it does collapse. And, oh, my God, we do have an influx of people trying to move to Canada. And, oh, how do we decide? Oh, we're going to decide by the most skilled. Oh, it's also the most white. Oh, up, sorry, everyone who's poor and who doesn't have the skills that we want. We're not fucking letting you in this country. You know, we are hurtling towards this. And... I mean, I don't know. Maybe maybe there's just been a, an announcement put through all the caucuses saying you're just not to talk about this because if we look at the elephant in the room, we fucking will have to acknowledge that uh, that he's there and he's swinging his trunk and it comes, it's going to come really fucking close to all of our faces very soon and we're all going to fucking die. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> thank you for that. Um, yeah. And, you know, uh, the other thing is that Canadian institutions are like on the brink. All of our institutions are underfunded, right? 
all of our institutions, you know, whether it's education, whether it's healthcare, um, you know, uh, public service, uh, public works, like the way that um, the social safety net is supposed to work, it's everything stretched to the brink. Um, you know, a lot of us have been seeing the news about um, emergency room wait times across the country and uh, how access to healthcare has been dramatically affected by the pandemic, which, you know, it's like, yeah, many people said this would happen as a result of how um, our governments uh, dealt with and did not deal with the pandemic. But sigh, here we are. Um, it'd be good to see some sort of like retrospective reporting on that and like, you know, taking a look at, you know, how we knew that this was all going to come to pass. But anyway, um, maintaining a system where all of our institutions are operating at, you know, um, or just just making it, barely making it, not even making it for several communities. I mean, again, what happens when the population swells as a result of all of these things? It's like, oh, so bad. The other thing that points to um, uh, American decline is uh, the January 6th committee. Um, which uh, is... Which I have been paying zero attention to, I have to admit. Yeah, I haven't been paying a lot of attention to it either. Um, but essentially what's happening is that there is, you know, uh, this, uh, the committee is, is revealing more information about how many people at the top knew about what was happening uh, on, uh, on January 6th and how many people were involved, like what sort of conversations were had. So the point is uh, very clearly to put a um, more of the responsibility for what happened onto Trump and the Trump administration. And it has resulted in high level officials being like having their homes raided as a result of the January 6th committee. And the goal is to also convince um, Merrick Garland to indict Trump. Right. That'll work. That'll make this go away. Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. as much as like, you know, fuck, uh, <laughs> if Trump gets indicted, like what do people think is going to happen? <laughs> <laughs> he'll just go away. He'll just uh, he'll just crumble <laughs> into just... dust. That's the magic. <sighs> uh, that's the magic uh, thing that all it definitely will not make Ivanka turn into some sort of supervillain. No. No. Yeah, I, you know, it just feels like, Nora, uh, that, you know, this collapse is a lot sooner than we think. It's happening a lot sooner than mm. we think. That then maybe even you and I think, and uh, other people, I think, are not even thinking <laughs> about collapse in any way. And look, Nora and I can be super wrong. It's never happened yeah. before, but we could be super wrong about all this, okay? We could be. But wouldn't you want to bet on the fact that we're right? <laughs> like, wouldn't you want to prepare for the eventuality that we're right? Because if we do, all that happens is that, and we prepare for it, all that happens is that in terms of government, we have uh, a, a, a government uh, uh, institutions and economy that can better serve people regardless. Like that's, you know, preparing for it in the right way um, would just mean that our society is better 
Like, literally, that's what we need, our society to be better, to <laughs> absorb these things. And so um, whether it's about American collapse or just, like, doing the right thing for people, I mean, that should be uh, the way that we are oriented. It should be the conversations that we're having. And I just feel like it's full fallacy to not have um, uh, political actors attuned to this. The other thing that we should um, be thinking about is it's like for those of us who are activists and are movement people, you know, like uh, what should we be doing? And I, you know, I've had a lot of conversations about this over the last couple of weeks. And I just feel like, I mean, for those of you who haven't listened to our Critiquing Critique episode, um, please go back and listen to it. It's just like, at this point in time, there's there's a lot of like infighting and falling apart over the left at finger pointing, like kind of, you folks aren't a perfect organization, so, um, you know, we can't work together. And so people are not effectively working together. And in fact, uh, in the United States, a this is happening in a lot of pro-choice organizations, and it's made it very difficult for them to respond. And the consequences are dire. Like, not just respond, but to organize for this eventuality. The consequences are dire. We have got to get our heads out of our asses and stop like we have to focus on making sure that yes, we should try to make our organizations better, but we also have priorities, human need priorities that mean that we should also be focused on um, making sure that we are organizing against all of the ways that um, our lives are being threatened. And I fear, I really fear um, that, you know, the influence of social media and the ease at which we can um, pretend to ourselves that we're doing something when we just, you know, like tweet a list of things. Like I, I, I really fear that we're becoming de-skilled. I fear that we are losing relationships that we should be having uh, across the border. And I fear that we're, we are not prepared to respond either um, as activists and uh, I, I think that that is, it's a, it's a huge problem. And uh, we we literally have got to get over ourselves and fucking um, come together um, when we can, because the consequences, I mean, the stakes are too high. I just want to do one quick shout out, because while we were recording, we have a dutiful listener that just um, increased their pledge, and their name is 200 Episodes Hell Yeah!, <laughs> what is it you <laughs> it's not me no 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 so thank you so much to them for being so aware of that and um more aware and than we are apparently more aware than we are and yeah i mean we got the summer people should be feeling good about just being in the summer and the good weather unless of course you live in like you know forest fire hell which i guess a lot of us do but we need to be taking time to think through this stuff, debate with one another, and then and, and, and putting a lot of those differences aside. Like, we don't have to like each other. I think that's kind of the most important message. 